Highlights. Highlights of the year. Highlights from 2023. Yeah. Giant pizza we ate in Basel. Mm-hmm. Giant pizza we had left over for breakfast in Basel. Dreaming about the giant pizza we had in Basel. That's my top three. Okay. Maybe tonight I'm going to get a giant pizza because now I'm thinking about it. Well, that's going to be a 2024 highlight. Yeah. So ask me again next year and I'll say the giant pizza I had at the beginning of the year. What about you, Tom? What are your highlights? 2023. What a year. What a year in the life of Tom Proviti. Yeah, it's been an un- unequivocal highlight. Spotify mm. wrapped. <laughs> My Spotify wrapped. There was some old old bangers on there. Well, that'll see you through 2024. I know. You just got to press shuffle. It'll keep going to you through it. Any other highlights? Yeah, I um, got a new weighted blanket this year. A big highlight. Mm. Yeah, that could be a highlight of like the past few years, actually. Guys, this is pretty bleak. This is all you can come up with. <laughs> We've had a yeah, <laughs> is what we're trying to say here, Ben. Let's talk about carbon removal highlights, because there's probably more of them than we've had in our personal life. Hopefully, we can fill a whole episode. Yeah, let's do that. Hello, and welcome back to the Carbon Removal Show. Welcome, welcome. I'm Tom Praviti. And I'm Emily Swaddle. Happy New Year to you, Tom. Emily, Happy New Year. 2024, we're here. Can you believe it? Whew, we made it. I feel like it was touch and go there for a bit, but we got here. We did. We got here. And in today's episode, before we run into this new year, we're going to take a moment to look back at the last 365 days around the sun. Yes. Let's take a moment to reflect, shall we? 2023, Mm. a year in review. The official 2023 review episode. It's going to be a compendium an almanac, a smorgasbord, a well-stuffed hamper, a sparkling treasure trove, perhaps. Hmm, perhaps. Call it what you want, Emily. This episode is our chance to look back on 2023 and see what have been the big stories in CDR. Right, well, the year's not getting any younger, Tom. Let's do it. Yeah, neither am I. Cue it. Let's cue the music. (laughs) Welcome to the news of 2024. These are your headlines. Purchases of novel carbon dioxide removal were higher than ever in 2023. CDR.FYI reports that purchases of these methods reached around 4.5 million tonnes in 2023, compared to 600,000 tonnes in 2022 and around 100,000 in 2021. Big purchases this year came from the usual suspects, such as Microsoft and Frontier. New big buyers that emerged in 2023 include NextGen, BCG and Boeing. COP28, the UN Conference on Climate Change, brought mixed results for CDR fans. According to carbon removals at COP, there were more than 70 carbon removal-related events at this year's proceedings, but outcomes were less than hoped. Crucially, there was no agreement on the all-important Article 6.4. This is seen by many as a setback in carbon credit project development and risk-stampening investment. Here in the UK, Mission Zero recently turned on the nation's first direct air capture plant with the intention to use captured carbon to produce sustainable aviation fuel. Across the pond, Heirloom opened the first American DAC plant this year, storing captured carbon in concrete. And in Kenya, DAC giant Climeworks has partnered with Great Carbon Valley to develop large-scale DAC plus storage projects 
potential rollout in 2028. Biochar appears to be having a moment, with production maturing around the world and the method leading the pack in terms of tonnes of removal delivered. Research has historically shown varied results in regards to the durability of this popular CDR technique. However, a new study has shown that carbon could be locked away for far greater timescales, driving a new wave of excitement about biochar's long-term potential. 2023 started with some controversy when The Guardian published an article accusing VERA, the Verified Carbon Standard Programme, of hugely overvaluing their carbon offsetting projects. Although the RED Plus projects in question generate avoidance credits, not removal credits, and all accusations were strongly denied by VERA, the controversy shed light on the complexities of measuring carbon management. Subsequently, lots of important-sounding organisations that go by initialisms VCMI, ICVCM, GHG Protocol and SBTI announced that they are to develop an end-to-end -end integrity framework for carbon credits. As well as six of the major independent carbon crediting standards collaborating to create common principles under their standards. And finally, for Carbon Removal News at 2024, everyone's favourite podcast, The Carbon Removal Show, launched its long-awaited third season this year. New episodes out now wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> That's like the best news headline. What a roundup. We've got increasing purchases, policy frustrations, deployment of tech, important research still happening and changing how we think about different methods, and we've got a real focus on quality with MRV. Obviously, this was just a very brief summary of some of the main headlines of 2023. But Emily, have you got any initial reactions? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there and we've only just scratched the surface. For me, there are a couple of things that jump out. First of all, I'm seeing the scale up and I'm here for it. Very exciting. Mm. Yes, we're in the early stages of it, but the numbers are moving strongly in the right direction. Fantastic. Second of all, CDR at COP28. Disappointing on the policy side, for sure. But it's important to note that there have also been policy developments at national and European levels, which we'll get into later. But honestly, a few years ago, no one was even talking about CDR at COP. Do you remember? Mm. It wasn't even on the agenda at all. So we've certainly come a long way in terms of recognition. Yeah, thanks for those. I do agree. It feels as though there's true progress being made, both in terms of this increased awareness but also an increased deployment and scaling up of carbon removal projects. More are launching at pilot or demonstration size, and those that were at pilot or demonstration are starting to move into more of a commercialization phase. When we started this podcast, so much of this was hypothetical, and it feels really exciting because now we're talking about things that are you know, concrete. It's all materializing. It's real. And in that concrete is carbon that can be stored for a really, really long time. <laughs> so now that we've heard some of the headlines, let's dig a little bit deeper to consider some of the trends that are going on under the surface. Right. And there's no better place to start with than with the stats that we mentioned at the top of our news briefing. You love a stat, Tom. Big stat fan. I can't help it. <laughs> Especially when they're this big. From 600,000 tonnes in 2022 to 4.5 million tonnes in 2023, that's an increase of 650% with novel CDR purchases year on year. So, I mean, it's a pretty big stat. Sizes and everything, Tom, but it is very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> 
And before we dive even deeper into those stats, I would like to bring the language back into it with a quick note on terminology to help frame these statistics that were thrown around. Mm. As you alluded to, Tom, those 4.5 million tonnes purchased are in reference to a group of CDR methods that includes BECS, biochar, DAC, enhanced rock weathering, and a number of other methods. CDR FYI calls these durable methods, while the conveners of the State of Carbon Dioxide Removal Report refer to them as novel methods, just as you did. In the past, you may have heard us group them as broadly tech or engineered approaches. Any description is an oversimplification, but to be clear, what aren't included are conventional land management-based approaches like reforestation and afforestation, peatland and wetland restoration, etc. And as we've already talked about in our Season 3 Scaling Up chat, these novel methods have further to go from a lower starting point. So getting to this sort of growth amongst these methods is really crucial. Yes. And on the face of it, these numbers are incredibly promising for this scale-up of novel methods. To help put this into context, I want to refer back to those growth curves we saw in Basel from the State of Carbon Dioxide Removal Report. Those illustrated the type of growth we'd need to see of these methods over the next 20-odd years if we're going to stand any chance of scaling up carbon removal to the multi-gigaton scale by 2050. For instance, the report states that the growth rate of DAC required to get from current capacity to a potential of 2 gigatons by 2050 implies an exponential growth rate of over 50% per year. I remember looking at this early last year and thinking, geez Louise, that is a huge ask. And here we are, but a few months later, and on purchases at least, we're seeing an annual growth rate that actually well exceeds that. However, as with all of this, there are some caveats. There always are. That's what we're here for. Firstly, we're looking at a one-year snapshot of what will be a long old trek towards that multi-gigaton scale. There are all sorts of constraints that we're going to face over the coming years, and of course it's a lot harder to maintain these sorts of proportional increases once we're talking about much bigger numbers. Very true. Secondly, a big hunk of tons purchased this year come from a handful of super massive purchases. For instance, one single BEX purchase by Microsoft from Danish energy provider Orsted contributed over 2.7 million tonnes to the total. That's more than 50%. Meanwhile, at the time of making this episode, only 58 of the known 258 buyers of novel CDR have bought over 1,000 tonnes across their purchasing history. I don't think this is good or bad news per se. We need big buyers, but we also need new buyers entering the market. Anecdotally, I hear that smaller buyers are using these initial purchases as a way to dip their toe in the water, build a bit of confidence before making a larger purchase. But over the next couple of years, it'll be interesting to see whether these first-time buyers are following up with bigger commitments, and are the bigger fish continuing to make more headline-grabbing purchases? We're going to need both, really. Totally. We're at such an early stage that these dynamics just aren't clear yet. And I think the third big caveat, and perhaps the most crucial one, is that these stats are for purchases, and currently purchases far outstrip deliveries. To date, just 2.8% of novel or durable carbon removal purchased has been delivered. And while the numbers of purchases are a reason to be optimistic, there are plenty of sceptics out there who won't be sold on some of these CDR methods until that carbon is in the ground or wherever it's going. 
and until that process has been reliably and transparently reported and verified. Yeah, it really shows the degree to which the market is relying on these pre-purchases, but I don't think it's that surprising. The growth of supply doesn't immediately follow growth of finance, and there's going to be a lag of a couple of years. If we've seen a massive uptick in the purchases curve this year, we would hope to see this reflected in the deliveries two or three years from now. Yeah. To return to a point we've made before, durable removal is currently just a tiny piece of the overall carbon removal pie. Picture a pie, it's a slither. Slither, slither, I can't say that word. Not even a slither. It's not, it's a line. The State of CDR report estimates conventional carbon removal from land management at 2 gigatons, or 2 billion tonnes, per year. In other words, this year's durable or novel CDR purchases if and once they can be delivered, are still equivalent to only about a quarter of a percent of total human-driven carbon removal. The rest is coming from our faithful friends, reforestation, soil carbon management, and all that lovely stuff. Which is exactly why our focus for scaling up has been on novel approaches. But it also underlines the existing capacity of these conventional methods and the need to ensure that they are being deployed well. We all know how hard it is to measure and verify these more nature-based solutions. Yeah, we've been going on about how much growth we're seeing in CDR, but actually across the voluntary carbon market, which is over 90% comprised of avoidance credits and reductions rather than removals, we've seen a downtick this year for both credit issuances and retirements. Obviously, we mentioned the Red Plus Vera controversy in our headlines, and this will have undoubtedly had an impact on buyer perceptions in this space. A lot of people that we spoke to in the second half of this year summarised the dynamics in the VCM as representing a shift towards quality. And that is increasingly being driven by more and more sophisticated buyers who have an eye on the climate and other impacts of the credits that they're purchasing. Right. And it can be argued that the contraction of the overall credits market is ultimately a good thing if it leads to more impact motivated buyers and higher quality across the board. I guess the jury's still out on what the long-term trends will be. You'll remember that trust was a big theme when we visited Carbon Futures event in Basel earlier in 2023. So we decided to touch base with Sebastian Manhart once again to understand what the year had meant for him and the Carbon Future team. I think for Carbon Future this year was really important to determine what is its place in the industry and where can it best contribute to the growth of this industry. And we've really doubled down on what we're actually doing. And at the heart of it, we see our job as building the trust infrastructure that is needed to scale durable carbon removal globally. And what this means for us is that we have two products. The one product is what we call Carbon Future MRV Plus with biochar carbon removal. But now, and this is also crucial, expanding to more and more verticals within durable removal. And the second thing is the Carbon Future Marketplace, which was and still is the globally leading marketplace for durable CDR. And basically, we will only trade credits that have gone through a very rigorous MRV process which is a very high bar, but it's our long-term play and what we increasingly see buyers appreciate. This is an excellent reminder that a whole industry is being created here. It's not just pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and storing it somewhere. 
the growth we've seen so far is less about more and more tons being removed and more about proving concepts, building interest, gaining resources, and importantly, creating the infrastructure that will support this industry. That's what Sebastian's talking about here. Robust MRV processes to ensure everything is top-notch and trusted marketplaces for all of this to feed into. It's like laying sturdy foundations on which to build a cathedral of carbon removal. How do you like that analogy, Tom? That's one of your better ones. Thank That's you. Up there. Thank you so much. No doubt those foundations are going to be essential. And Carbon Future, among others, have already started to lay the next layer, which is deliveries. Deliveries are coming. Sebastian wanted to draw attention to one of the deals that the company is overseeing, as well as what this says about the potential pace of delivery of some projects we might hope to see in the months and years ahead. We're obviously really proud about all our deals that we did this year, but we're particularly proud about a deal that came through now at the end of the year for Microsoft and with Exomart Green Concepcion, which is a project located in Bolivia. And this is a project that is set to deliver 32,000 tons of carbon dioxide removal credits through biochar carbon removal by June 2024. And to us, this is just massive because, you know, we're talking about over 30,000 tons in the next six months. This is something that, yeah, it's still a drop in the ocean in the grand scheme of things, but in the world of durable carbon removal, where, you know, we're talking sometimes about single digit thousands, if anything, at the current scale, delivering more than 30,000 tons in six months of durable removal is something that we're super excited about. And coupled with this MRV plus, right? Like I want to be very clear, these are all tons of biochar carbon removal that will be tracked through this MRV. And maybe to go beyond carbon future, you know, this is one thing that I'm really excited about is the increased pace of delivery. And just a couple of weeks ago, we saw the announcement from Frontier that they bought, I think it was 56 or $57 million worth of enhanced rock weathering credits from Lithos Carbon. And half of that, which I think is around 70,000, 80,000 tons, is going to be delivered by the end of 25, which again, it's a bit slower than the one I just announced this deal, but it's still huge, right? For a technology that until a year ago, we didn't even know where it would go. Now we have these huge deals that are going to deliver in the next 12 to 18 months. So uh, I think this pace of delivery pickup is really something that will hopefully be a big theme for the new year. It is worth noting that this sort of delivery pickup is really unusual at the moment. And many purchases of novel CDR are coming with some pretty long multi-year order fulfillment times. And we'll put the details of both the Carbon Future ExoMad deal and the Frontier Lithos Carbon deal in the show notes, because they're really notable and interesting examples. In fact, the latter is Frontier's biggest purchase to date and the biggest purchase of enhanced rock weathering ever. We're really seeing some records being broken here. I hope the Guinness World Book of Records or whatever it's called is on it. Maybe they need to listen to this episode and get some updates in their book. The numbers are obviously important, but, Tomothy, there are ways of capturing the growth and health of the industry beyond tons purchased, tons delivered and dollars spent. Right, you are. It's also about the slightly less tangible things. The energy, the buzz, the movement you feel mm. more broadly when you're mm -hmm. in and around the carbon removal space, just wallowing in that carbon. Mm -hmm. I think we both feel this has been something of a breakout year for CDR in this respect. Sebastian actually reminded us of one manifestation of this. 
the emergence of uh, a CDR association in Germany and putting CDR broadly on the map in the fourth biggest economy in the world. We've seen something else like Naim Merchant doing it in Canada, right? We're seeing something in France forming. And so it's great to see that, again, the sector is becoming big enough that we can not just have, you know, a US and EU focused work, but we can also increasingly have national work, which is really where we need to go. Yeah, there are more organizations, networks and associations for CDR popping up all over the place, which is an amazing thing. In particular, the Deutsche Verband für Negative Emissionen, DVNE, which Sebastian mentioned, is the first national carbon removal association and was established with the aim of making Germany the global leader for carbon removal and helping the country achieve net zero by 2045. Organisations like this are hopefully going to be really key to fostering that collaboration that we've heard so many people talking about. And returning to one of our favourite themes, communicating CDR far and wide. The farther and wider the better. Bringing us closer to home, we also wanted to shout out our friends at CORE, C-O-2-R-E. They've established the UK Future Leaders Network, bringing together early career practitioners to help build long-term UK greenhouse gas removal capacity and capability. And both Tom and I are proud members who are very excited to see how this and other similar networks across the world evolve. Thank you, Core. It also feels like there were more events in 2023 than ever before that were dedicated to or strongly featuring CDR. We've already featured Carbon Futures event in Basel, which we had a lot of fun at. Another big event that we were invited to was Carbon Unbound Europe, which was in London. Very sadly, I couldn't make it, but I know you enjoyed yourself, Emily. Yeah, I had a great time. Me and producer Ben went along, loved it. Carbon Unbound had launched in New York earlier in 2023, but this second event in London was a little easier for us to pop along to. We spoke to Oliver Katz, founder and CEO of Unbound Summits. Unbound Summits is a events company that looks to bring together business leaders and senior officials to scale novel sustainable technologies and industries. So we've launched into carbon removal as kind of the first industry, but we have plans to increase the events that we're doing to focus on different sort of sustainable initiatives throughout the year. And what was it about carbon removal that sort of caught your eye as the first thing to do? I was just really interested in it to begin with. I was seeing that it was getting a bit more traction and also I think just the fact that it can be a lot of doom and gloom about our climate goals or we're not reducing enough our emissions and so when I came across carbon removal it was a beacon of hope in a sense and there was a lot of really exciting innovators in the space that were working towards change the climate for the better. So I just started doing some research into that really and, and thought that, you know, event within the space that brought together, you know, innovators, finances and corporates would, would be a good idea. So what was it that you wanted to create with this event in particular? Yeah, so I wanted to create a space that firstly was centered around collaboration. So bringing together lots of the key stakeholders within the industry that would be able to scale up these innovations to ensure that they reached a scale that was going to impact the world. So previous to this, I worked for an events company that was working on the food tech space. And so I saw that space, particularly the last of like five to 10 years take off and I feel like carbon removal is a similar sort of inflection point to what food tech and, you know, plant-based was back then. 
And so bringing together the banks and the investors, but also then the startups and then corporate, you know, buyers and scalers, by bringing everyone into the room, it really ensures that people can have like a really genuine discussion about what's needed and also be open to collaboration. Discussion and collaboration were big themes here, just as they had been at Carbon Future Basel. The two-day programme included a mix of main stage talks on topics ranging from specific CDR technologies to funding and policy, structured seminar-type fireside chats, and plenty of one-on-one or small group networking. It really felt lively, dynamic, and like important subjects were being discussed and fought over. In a friendly and collegiate sort of way, of course. I actually can't tell you how gutted I was to miss this event. (laughs) I felt it at the time. You were very missed, Tom. We Mm. kept sending you pictures and that made you feel a little bit included. We did bump into a lot of friends, old and new, some Carbon Removal Show fans and previous guests. And that is hardly surprising because the event included over 350 participants from across Europe and beyond. Just a couple of years ago, the idea of getting that many people together in a London conference centre to talk about carbon removal for two days would probably have seemed outlandish. But the fact that large-scale events like this are now a reality is really testament to the industry's growth. And, anecdotally, many people we spoke to had joined the space in recent months. There's a lot of newcomers, you know? Mm. As carbon removal grows, more and more people are getting involved in the industry. And this year, it felt like we saw the beginnings of the industry's self-awareness, or at the very least, a focus on ensuring the space grows in diversity and inclusion as it grows in size. Totally. I'm here for it. Love it. And while we were at Carbon Unbound Europe, we chatted with Michelle Lee, founder of Women and Climate, a non-profit community creating a joyful and safe space for more women to learn and talk about climate. So you introduced two panels this morning around women and climate. Really great panels. I really enjoyed them. When it comes to sort of women and climate, and particularly in the carbon removal space, mm-hmm. how has that conversation been evolving? Well, I come from the tech space, so I'm going to take a step back, right? And just attending tech events and seeing women in leadership in tech over the number of years that I've worked in that space has really kind of ingrained in my brain that this is a topic that we can bring to the forefront. The tech space is doing that. They're doing things to change diversity, leadership, pay equity. And when I first kind of got exposed to the carbon removal space, it reminded me of the earlier days of tech. And there's no good or bad, right or wrong. It it just is what it is, right? It's a very technical space. It's very male-dominated today. But how can we make that better? And I feel like bringing women into the conversation and having more women leadership will help us actually come up with better solutions that are more of a win-win-win. So I think we're still in the nascent stages, but there are organizations out there like Women in Carbon that they exist in London and they're moving to New York, so great organization as well. But yeah, let's raise more awareness around this and bring more talent and more thought leadership that is diverse into the conversation. So we're coming to the end of 2023. What would you like to sort of look back and highlight from this year? Wow, I think I would like to highlight the launch of our Women in Climate Speaker Database. Mm. It is a really key resource and one of the really important tools to get more women thought leadership in the spotlight. So I started it after I went to COP27 and I saw more opportunities for women to speak 
and was kind of like humming and hawing on this project. Like, should I do it? Should I not? Who's going to sign up? It's not going to work. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't do it. But we launched with about 100 speakers and we now have almost 600 speakers. And we every week have different events telling us that they're looking for speakers. And we have a service where we have like a bit of a speaker's job board. Definitely a milestone for me. It was so great to see Michelle and her initiative afforded a prominent place at Carbon and Bound. We all know that industries like CDR, that often have a heavy tech element in their early days, can be very male-dominated. And yet we also know that we need more diversity in the room where decisions are being made. For all sorts of reasons, not least because climate change and gender equality intersect in so many ways. So I'm really interested to see how the space evolves over the coming years. Me too. I'm really curious. So beyond the market itself and the general industry buzz, what are some of the other big themes that we've picked up on from 2023? Honestly, Tom, there are too many to count. But I did take the opportunity while at Carbon Unbound to ask a few people what they wanted to highlight from the year. And the answers were as diverse as they were interesting. Here's Gabriel Walker, co-founder and chief scientist for Curate and the co-founder of non-profit Rethinking Removals. She gave us a rundown of some of the big themes from her perspective. I think I would say this is the year when so many more solutions actually came out into the into the forefront that can really have the potential to scale to the gigaton scale. I particularly highlight things like ocean carbon removals of lots of different kinds. Also this narrative, I started to talk to people from India as well, this narrative about how, not just a narrative, but actual real beginnings of action, that this can be something that, that really emerges and provides a development solution in the global south. Those are two of the things I'd highlight. But I'd also highlight that this is the year that there's been a lot of pushback. I think carbon removals wasn't really big enough for people to notice and it's evidence that it's starting to bite that there's now kind of worry that if, if money goes into this it will go out of my thing so I have to try and stop it and then finally the fourth thing I'd say is that this is a year where there's been a real attempt to attach carbon removals to the whole keeping oil and gas in play narrative which I think is very dangerous and there's a it's almost like a tug of war between those things that are, are stopping the industry growing and the things that are making it grow, and we'll see what wins, but hopefully we can influence them. Yeah, in a way, it's it, <laughs> being an optimist, it's kind of encouraging that there are people putting that tension on because like, they're paying attention, at least, to the carbon removal world. It shows it's biting. When, yeah. when, I was, when I did my TED talk about carbon removals in 2021, it was really almost no one was talking about it. Mm. We were working to try and get this on the agenda at COP. Now everyone's talking about it, so yeah. that, that, that's already progress. Okay, some pretty big themes there. Mm-hmm, yep. Let's dive into a couple of these because they're all things that we've heard in different ways on multiple occasions at the event and in the weeks since. So CDR methods. It's difficult to pinpoint like hard data on this, but there really does seem to be a diversification in the CDR solutions that are making the headlines, as Gabriel says. And oceans do seem to be having a big year. Well done, Oceans. Yes. On the ocean front, several companies have been running their first trials or pilots, and we're also seeing some promising purchases of a number of different ocean-based carbon removal credits. I'd like to mention Rewind with Biomass Sinking, Brilliant Planet with Macroalgae, and Aquatic with Ocean Direct Carbon Removal. Mm. Wonderful names as well, those businesses. Oh yeah, brilliant names. Ocean CDR feels as though they've got their namings down. 
more broadly, it does feel like the CDR ecosystem is diversifying, doesn't it? A year ago, it felt like it was all just like a few big hitters. DAC, biochar, they were the majority of the conversation. And, you know, they are still major players, don't get me wrong, but the conversation does seem to be getting a bit broader. In fact, I'd be interested to know if our listeners have felt the same. Get in touch, please do. I totally agree. And something that we still hear a lot is that the best CDR methods might not have been invented yet. Or they may be in early stage development, tucked away in a research paper that only a dozen people would know about. So yes, there's a lot of excitement about a lot of different methods right now, but there's also a real sense of possibility in the CDR community that there are more opportunities to be discovered. The possibilities are endless. Another thing Gabriel touched on is the pushback against CDR, linked undeniably to the industry ties with fossil fuel companies. One of the big CDR stories of 2023 was the acquisition of Canadian DAC company Carbon Engineering by fossil fuel giant Occidental Petroleum. From a PR perspective, CDR cannot afford to be closely associated with the fossil fuel industry. As we've said a million times, it's not about removals instead of reductions. It has to be about removals and reductions. We saw some of the realities of this play out at COP28 this year. So we'll get into more of that a bit later. Another theme that we've heard a fair bit over the past few months has been the repositioning of the Global South as a potential leader in CDR. Yeah, Gabriel Walker made this point in that clip we just heard, and it's one we encountered a fair bit at Carbon Unbound, where there were both main stage and small group events focused on the progress of CDR in the Global South. Now, it's important to preface that when we're talking about the Global South, we're talking about many diverse geographies, contexts, economies and cultures. And depending on how you define it, we're also almost certainly talking about an area that includes the majority of the world's land mass and population. Yeah, so we're aware that this sort of framing has a very real potential to overgeneralize and flatten nuances. Apologies. In fact, we know many people, include some we've spoken to, that reject this term entirely for this reason. But we're going to stick with it for now because it's certainly one we'll still come across a lot. And we do think it draws attention to a trend that runs broader than just one or two countries. Absolutely. It is striking that we're seeing exciting developments on CDR coming out of sub-Saharan Africa and India, for example, as well as increasing interest in the potential of carbon removal in many countries that haven't always been a big part of the conversation. And for us, it definitely marks one of the biggest shifts over the past year. So what's driving this? We met Bilha Ndurangu at Carbon Unbound and asked her for her take. I'm the CEO of Great Carbon Burley. Great Carbon Burley is a company headquartered in Kenya and we are looking to develop green industrial parks that take advantage of the fact that we have significant amounts of renewable energy and carbon storage potential to build out direct air captured storage and green industry in Kenya and East Africa in general. We've been talking about how the Global South can lead on CDR and you were part of a really interesting panel about that yesterday. Would you like to sort of give us your perspective briefly on that whole conversation that's happening around that right now? The way I think about the Global South and why it can and should be a leader in CDR is a combination of factors. One is what does it take for CDR to happen? What are the requirements for CDR to happen? And in some instances you're looking at things like 
renewable energy potential, like we do need significant amounts of power for some of these technologies. There's questions around storage, if you're looking to do mineralization, biomass for some of you know some technologies like biochar or BEX, and a host of other reasons, or just when you think about different technologies and the requirements, it tends to happen that a lot of these things are actually found, you know, in significant amounts in some parts of, you know, the global south. At least for me, looking at Africa, because that's where I'm from, but I'd imagine the same plays out for other parts. And so the question then becomes, why are we not thinking about CDR in the global south? And I think part of it has just been traditionally people have not had conversations about the global south or Africa as a contributor to the solutions in the climate challenge. Usually the conversation around Africa is from a victim perspective where it's Africa is not contributing much to the climate change problem, why should we be paying for it, people should be paying Africa. And there's, there's a place and a, there's, there's space for those kinds of conversations to be happening around adaptation, loss and damage, etc. But then if we turn back to this question around CDR, what are the solutions that are going to be required for the world to be decarbonized? It so happens that Africa provides a really good place for some of these things to happen. And at least for me, my perspective is you're then solving two major problems. You're helping the world decarbonize, which is a big problem. But on the flip side, Africa with its growing population needs jobs and livelihoods for its people. It's not saying, oh, please give us some money. It's saying, if you make sound investment decisions and we're trying to figure out what are the best places to do CDR, turns out that the Global South is one of those places. And so why not do it? So we are coming to the end of 2023. What would you like to sort of highlight and look back upon from this year? It really has been a long year and lots of interesting things happening. But I think for me, when I think about where I'm coming from, which is coming from Kenya, coming from Africa, the fact that we are sitting at some of these conversations and saying we can actually have the Global South be part of this CDR conversations, I think is, a, is really big for me. And not just part of it as a token or as an afterthought, it's actually being at the front and center of some of these conversations. Uh, we just announced a big deal with Climeworks to come to Kenya. That's you know an agreement between Great Carbon Valley and Climeworks to build out something in Kenya. So the fact that these kinds of announcements are happening and we, I can begin to visualize some of these countries becoming epicenters of carbon removal, I think is a really, really major turning point and a big shift. And hopefully this then begins to mean that conversations going forward will move from can we do CDR in the global south to we are doing CDR in the global south. Now here are the challenges and here's the things that we're solving for and sort of really getting to the place where it becomes about doing the projects and actually implementing them rather than can this even be a possibility. I think Bill Hare really nicely describes some of that shift that's happened this year from hypotheticals to reality when we're talking about situating major CDR projects in areas of the global south. This isn't a news story with a single headline or a single stat that we can quote. It's about a shift in attitude paired with real world developments and commitments, like the project in Kenya that Bill had mentioned. Yeah, and it's easy to see why attention is shifting. For instance, Climeworks reports that Kenya has 10 plus gigawatts of annual renewable energy capacity that's untapped due to low demand. This and the social benefits these projects can bring for some of the most climate-impacted communities are good reasons to be looking at the Global South. But as we've said before, this work needs to happen in a way that's sensitive to local needs and empowers local leadership and ownership. So it's really exciting to hear Bilha's perspective on this, and it's another theme that I can't wait to follow over the coming months. You didn't think we would do a 2023 roundup <laughs> without a feature on COP, did you? We couldn't. We just couldn't do that. Maybe we saved the best till last. The worst of the best. Okay, so it's fair to say that many of us went into this year's COP in Dubai with a fair bit of concern. 
and some people really had their hackles raised from the outset. As we alluded to at the top, there turned out to be some justification for this because we really saw a mixed bag come out of the conference. Thanks in part to what many have described as the unprecedented inclusion and interference of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, and in many ways this feels like the inevitable resistance to the broader positive shifts we're seeing. Although we have a long way to go, the international community is broadly moving towards consensus positions on the overall need for action. And in this lead up to COP28, the UN's global stock take had finally used language establishing the need for a fossil fuels phase out for the first time. However, the text signed off at the COP did not go as far as that. And this was one of the biggest sources of disappointment for many. Yeah, it was a real disappointment. And I'm sure most of our listeners know this already. But I do think it's something worth highlighting because in many ways, it's a story about CDR. Not that we like to make everything about us, but it's all about us. The reality is that fossil fuel industries and the states most reliant on them see carbon removal as one of the tools to allow fossil fuels to continue without rapid and major reductions. There are lots of reasons why this is nonsense, Mm -hmm. not least of all the fact that we need to reduce our net emissions fast and that CDR is still well below the capacity where it can significantly contribute to this. We both love carbon removal and will sing its praises for days until the cows come home. But neither of us believe that it is going to do any more than a fraction of the work to get us to net zero, even with the huge scale up that we're aiming for. Yeah, I think it's important to say that we spend a lot of time hanging out in carbon removal spaces, both digitally and in person. And we rarely, if ever, I don't know if I have ever heard people using CDR as a reason to take our foot off the emissions brake. I don't know, have you ever heard anyone say that, Tom? I've never heard anyone say that. No. Most people actively involved in this space seem pretty consistent that these methods are about compensating for those emissions that'll still be hard to abate by mid-century, and hopefully about getting our emissions to net negative in the decades to come. But as we touched on a little earlier, there is real world evidence that some in the fossil fuel industry are looking to carbon removal as a lifeline. And I think we're seeing that play out at COP. Totally. Now, the other big carbon removal story from COP was on Article 6.4. Just in case you're a little bit rusty on your Paris Agreement articles, Article 6 is the set of rules by which countries might internationally transfer their mitigation efforts to aid other countries in reaching their climate goals. In other words, how a carbon credit market might dovetail with nationally determined contributions. The hope was that COP28 would see agreement on Article 6, which would basically have established the details of this mechanism, and that would include things around environmental criteria, eligible activities, methodologies, and safeguards. Specifically for CDR, many were expecting to see carbon removal form a part of this Article 6.4. Right, and we've discussed about how it's a tricky time for the voluntary carbon market right now. Controversies, trust issues, a slowdown, etc. This makes the promise of Article 6.4 all the more tantalising. If operational and well-designed, this mechanism could really create new incentives to drive activity, bring CDR into compliance markets, and help build consensus around what constitutes high-quality, credible and durable removals. In short, a real game changer. Unfortunately, there wasn't yet agreement on many of the key priorities and attention will now turn to COP29 in November. However, not everyone sees this as a bad news story. 
After all, we would hope to see plenty of positive developments in MRV, for instance, over the coming months, and this can only help ensure that the outcomes are more robust. Hopefully. With trust thin on the ground, we really need to get this right and ensure as many good carbon removal options are included as possible. I think the general feeling from both these stories, fossil fuel phase-out and Article 6, is that progress has been slow and possibly scuppered, but that we may be inching forwards on these points. So there is reason for cautious optimism. And I think it's also worth dwelling on some of the positives. Outside of the main programme, CDR had a pretty good year at COP. In particular, I'd like to mention the launch of the Group of Negative Emitters. Established by Denmark, Finland and Panama, the group aims to remove more carbon than they emit by reducing emissions, preserving and expanding forests and investing in technology. Panama has already achieved this thanks to its extensive forests serving as a substantial carbon sink. Finland aims to accomplish this by 2035 and Denmark by 2045. Well done, Panama. Cracking result. Mm. Yeah, obviously these countries are outliers. And Panama, for instance, already has huge forests to help it reach this goal. They're already there. But it's a real statement of aspiration that will hopefully nudge the dial and encourage others to aim high as well. Despite the patchiness of the news from COP, it's also important to note that 2023 saw a lot of progress on the policy side at a national level and a regional level. I spoke with Ted Christie Miller, Director of Carbon Removal at B Zero Carbon, who gave us some highlights. I think if you look on the sort of policy and regulatory side, you see some big moves happening. You've got the carbon removal certification framework that, that recently got voted through the European Parliament. On the UK context, you had that announcement by the ETS, the Emissions Trading Scheme Authority, which said it now intends to build carbon removals into our emissions trading scheme, which is a huge market signal and is very exciting to see in the US, you know, seeing the rollout and the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. With the DAC hubs, you've got the $35 million prize as well. I mean, there's huge regulatory changes that I think have been really exciting to see. And I look forward to seeing how that actually impacts supply in the market. What a year. 2023 has been a busy one, Tom. It has been a very busy year indeed. And there's far too much that happened in 2023 for us to cover everything in its totality. In fact, as we were putting this together, I know that we kept thinking of more stories that we wanted to include, more stats, of course, and more perspectives that we wanted to share. Yeah, it's never ending. One of the occupational hazards of walking around events with a microphone is that you get a lot of brilliant content and you can only ever use a fraction of it. I mean, I'd love to put out five hour episodes but I'm not sure our listeners would be up for that. <laughs> Maybe it's my mum. Thanks for listening, mum. Yeah, let's agree to keep things bite-sized for now. Okay, okay. Now, though, Emily, it's 2024. Mm -hmm. Time to look forward to what's on the horizon. But what are we going to be diving into next? Well, you know, Tom, we're obviously talking about scaling up this season. And I think there's a lot more fertile ground for us to explore there. Mm, it's going to be a good one. Mm -hmm. See you there. See you next time. thank you to everyone who makes this show possible our researcher and fact checker henry irvine our graphic designer reke campbell our composer sam carter our producer ben weaver hinks and our executive producer sam floy i've been emily swaddle 
and I've been Tom Praviti. Thank you so much for listening. If we could ask you to do two favours, please hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening and give us a rating. It really helps. And if you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, please do ask this favour and share it with a friend or a colleague. You can find us online at thecarbonremovalshow.com. We're on LinkedIn as The Carbon Removal Show and we're on Twitter or X as Restored CC. See you next time.